All right. Good morning, Orangewood. Uh, Please follow along on the screens as I read our section from Galatians today. Uh, Friends, these words are utterly true, and they are given to us in love. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James and he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So that we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? And so gracious father, would you meet us here this morning? We all bring our own stories into this room. Those discouraged, those encouraged, those needing a word from you today, meet us all. Forgive the preacher, he is a sinner. But may we see Jesus because grace changes everything. We pray this in his name and everyone said, amen. Amen, Amen. you may be seated. Well, if you are a guest with us today, I'm really glad that you are here. Um, My name's Tyler, I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, we are closing out our series called Grace Changes Everything. We're in the book of Galatians and we're making our way through this amazing book. And really the motivation behind us looking and studying this book is uh, a place to get a viewpoint of what we believe uh, God's calling on our church and our new mission, inviting every person into the life changing story of Jesus. That's who we are and that's why uh, we are here. And uh, this sermon series is having us open up this beautiful letter by the Apostle Paul and what he has to teach us and how this grace impacts and informs uh, our life today. And uh, I want to begin this morning with a quote. It's, uh, it's a quote from a non-Christian. Uh, he is a psychotherapist. He wrote an amazing book in the 1970s. It actually won a Pulitzer Prize for this book. Uh, it was a book called The Denial of Death. The Denial of Death. And Ernest Becker was his name. And this is one of the lines from the book. He says this. Every person is desperately seeking cosmic significance. Every person is desperately seeking cosmic significance. Becker says every person who's ever lived has been on a quest, a quest, a search for cosmic significance. And our search actually brings us today to the book of Galatians. Three questions we need to answer today about this search. First, uh, what is every person looking for? Second, where have we searched to get it? And finally, how do we know we've found it? So let's look at the first question. What is every person looking for? 
Uh, Becker has told us it's cosmic significance. And, and as much as we can feel that in our souls, it's, it's still a pretty vague term. It's not very specific. Uh, but the Apostle Paul actually in Galatians gets very specific about what you and I are desperately looking for. He says it right here in verse 16. By works of the law, no one will be justified. What is every person looking for? Paul tells us right here, justification. That's what every person is looking for. And he actually uses the word three times in this passage, this, this word for justification. It, it came from the first century law court uh, uh, to stand before an official and, and for them to declare you in the right. Dikaios in the Greek. Are you in the right? Justification. That's, that's what Paul says every person is looking for. And I know someone has to be here today asking, oh, c- come on, Tyler. <laughs> Justification, that's such a churchy word. That can't be what every person who has ever lived, that's what they're looking for. Well, if that's you this morning, I ask that you would give me 30 minutes, maybe 40, depending on how the spirit moves, for me to unpack this. Justification is the concept that Paul is outlining for this morning, and it goes by many different names. Um, There's an author, B.J. Molina. He says, really, justification means acceptability. Uh, But the best definition, I think it speaks so clearly to what justification means in our modern world, comes from a man named David Zoll, who wrote a book called Seculosity. And in that book, he says, justification means enoughness. Enoughness. That's what we're all looking for. We're searching for enoughness. Justification is the verdict. The verdict that you are enough. Every person is looking for justification, the verdict. But this brings us to the second question. Where have we searched to get it? Where have we searched to receive this verdict of enoughness? That's our second question. And we see in our passage a common place we can turn looking for justification. Paul tells us here, uh, he says, we have looked for enoughness in works of the law. Works of the law. Uh, he, he, he's talking here about uh, the various ways that we have sought our verdict in our performance. By what we do, by what we have, by our own religious record. Uh, and this is what we see Peter's issue in our passage. He was looking for the verdict in other people. Uh, It's other people's approval to the detriment and the pain of others. Peter was a racist. Yes, Peter was a racist. We see it right here in our passage. He he turned his back on fellow Christians who he loved. He was eating with Gentiles to win the verdict of enoughness from the Jewish Christians. But rather than being justified, Peter was condemned. This is what we see in verse 11. But Peter, but when Cephas came to Anna, that's Peter, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from Jays, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. We learn in Acts uh, Acts 12, actually, that there's a growing Jewish nationalism that existed in the first century. And there was pressure being put on these disciples of the way uh, to adhere to uh, the conservative voices of that time. And now most matters in Jewish culture were dealt with in private, that you wouldn't condemn somebody. 
uh, only in private, uh, to, to give them uh, away from shaming. And so in an honor-shame culture, this was very, very big deal for someone to be a publicly rebuked like Peter was by Paul. And this, is, this shows the gravity of the situation that they were facing, the seriousness and the accusation of racism in the first century. And if we are honest, sadly, still exists today in our own culture and in my own heart. Now, most of us wouldn't think of ourselves as racist. I know Peter probably didn't. And it can show up in the most subtle of ways. And you can even surprise ourselves when the right situation presents itself. This actually, um, many of us wouldn't think to compare ourselves to the great Billy Graham. Billy Graham considered America's pastor through the 20th century. Even this situation, this subtle little racism showed up in his own life. Uh, tapes came out from the 1970s where uh, President Nixon had, was seeking re-election in his run for presidency, and he was seeking uh, advice from Billy Graham. Uh, Billy Graham came to meet with him, and uh, President Nixon uh, said during uh, this encounter with Billy Graham, the problem with our country uh, is the Jews. That's the problem with our country. And Billy Graham, rather than correcting, rather than rebuking, just went along with the conversation that was happening with President Nixon. Now, the thing I love about Billy Graham is when these tapes surfaced a couple of years ago, he immediately repented. And frankly, Billy Graham didn't even remember the conversation. That's how subtle it is. He didn't even remember the conversation, but I love that he repented in such way that even the great Billy Graham knows this situation, that the law of others approval and the superiority of our race and culture comes for us all. Maybe this has happened to you. It has happened to me. Uh, we were in Africa for a mission trip, um, and we were in Kenya. We were, we were staying with the pastor, um, and uh, the church service um, starts at 10 a.m., and the pastor uh, was going to be preaching there. Pastor Jackson was going to be preaching, and I don't know if you've ever been on a mission trip with our own pastor, Pastor Joe Creech, but he'll say this to you. He will beat this into your heads when you go into another culture. He says, just because it is different doesn't mean it's what? It's wrong. Just because it's different doesn't mean it's wrong. Well, there we were. Uh, the church service started at 10 a.m. Um, the pastor, Jackson, was going to be preaching that day. Um, but where were we still at 10 a.m.? We were still at his house. The church service had already started. And, and I'm sitting there uh, thinking in my head, white American, what is wrong with these people? Now, what happened? Uh, in a relationship-centric culture versus a time-centric culture like our own. Uh, we made our way to the church service. Uh, it, it was alive and, and vibrant and electric. Pastor Jackson preached a way better sermon to, than the one you're listening to right now. And nobody asked. Nobody said, well, where's Pastor Jackson? Where, where, where is he? It, it was just all part of the culture. Just because it's different doesn't mean it's wrong. And racism can even, in the most subtle ways, seep into our bones. And sadly, I have that racism, and Peter did too. We can believe we're upholding a certain law or certain standards about our own race and culture, while, as the passage says, we stand condemned. And it's so easy for us to fall into. And I will say this, while I'm on the subject of race, and while that is such an important topic in our passage I will say this, I am tired of seeing in the news another person of color being gunned down. Uh, 
Ahmaud Arbery's trial has begun and we have made great progress in our country, but sadly racism still seems to just be there under the surface and, and many times above the surface. And we may differ on what the levels of racism that exist in our country, but I don't, I know, I don't know all the facts about what happened with Ahmaud Arbery. What, what I do know is that this man did not deserve to be shot and killed in broad daylight when he was out for his usual jog. And the whole situation just reminds me of this effort of racial reconciliation that continues to happen in our country. And I know there's those in this room who have experienced this in their own lives, things that have been said to you by others. Uh, but I have to recognize that the same approval that Peter was seeking from his own, his own race resides in me as well and resides in us. I have the racism that Peter had in his bones. Uh, but for some of us, as we look at our enoughness, it could be other things as well. Uh, we, could, we could have some other law or verdict that is guiding or leading us. There's, there's a Danish philosopher named Soren Kierkegaard, and he wrote a book called Sickness Unto Death. And I don't, I don't understand half of what Kierkegaard ever wrote. It's, I mean, he's at another level. But, but the whole point of his book that he says is that we're searching for enoughness, but nothing is ever enough. We, we feel like we've never arrived. We, we, we've never gotten to where we feel comfortable in our own skin. And he says it this way. We keep striving to justify our own existence. Now, works of the law that we talk about in our passage, that word seems so primitive, so archaic, how, it seems so backwards, but there is a law governing your life this morning. There's a law governing your life. Martin Luther uh, said, there's some law that we are allowing to speak over our lives today, something that tells us we are enough. And Luther said that that law goes under new names for each culture, new, uh, new definitions of what guides us and determines the verdict for our lives this verdict of enoughness. And we would be delusional this morning to think that those works of the law don't exist today in our culture. There is a verdict that we are all looking for if you produce. There's a Croatian theologian named Miroslav Volf, and he has dialed in on this law that we have in our current culture. And he says this, around you is a society governed by the iron law of achievement. The iron law of achievement. That, that what have you produced? Uh, maybe you connect with Harold Abrams. He uh, ran against Eric Little in the 1924 Olympics. Um, you may know his story best from Chariots of Fire, the, the, the great uh, track uh, movie. And, and there's this moment in the story where there's a conversation between Eric and Harold and Eric runs for God. He's a Christian. He, he runs with joy, exuberance, freedom. He runs for God. And he's having this conversation with Harold Abrams and says, why, why do you run? Why, is it, why, why do you run, Harold? And, and, and I love this line. And this is what he said. Harold said right before a race. He says this, contentment. I'm 24 and I've never known it. I'm forever in pursuit and I don't even know what it is I'm chasing. I'll raise my eyes and look down that corridor four feet wide with 10 lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. I've got 10 lonely seconds. That's all I got. The iron law. We're all looking for justification for enoughness, but sadly, 
We've turned to some law and the laws demands and promises us that once you've done enough, once you've achieved enough, once you've performed enough, then you'll get the verdict. But the problem is the verdict never comes. There's always more, more to produce, more to take on, more to show forth in your life. It's an iron law. It tells me I'll, I'll be enough. And, and if you're like me, this, this verdict, it, it, it always seems like it's out there. If I, if I just do a little bit more, if I just achieve a little bit more, if I just produce a little bit more, or, or, or maybe you feel like you're at the top and it feels like I've got to do whatever it takes to hang on. That's what we feel. The law whispers in our ear, do more, do more. You're not there. Your performance is just not enough yet. And if your kids in the room, if your students, you, you deal with the potential. Oh, you have so much potential. Oh, who you could be. The law, it whispers in our ear, our condemnation. We keep coming up short. This is, this is why for many of us, our schedules are so maxed out. There's, there's no room in our schedules. There's no, there's no margins. We're just on the go all the time. So when I ask you, how are you doing this? The only appropriate answer is I'm busy. That's, that's all we know. It's, there's this maxed out issue to our lives. I, I feel that in my own life, that uh, the, the law wants to whisper, Tyler, Tyler, there is a word of grace for you, but, but, but all I want to do is fill it with more things in my calendar. Do you feel like that? More, more things that I can, someone asks, uh, how are you doing? Oh, well, I'm busy, which means I'm important. Look at my calendar. Sadly, that's my life. Pray for me. But this is the way we are responding to the law's critique. It only brings more pain, more isolation to the soul. And, and our culture today is filled with this, this hurry, uh, this, this sense that there's more that I need to take on, more, more that I need, less margin in my life. The impulse to keep up rather than living in our limits of what it means to be human. Uh, C.S. Lewis uh, wrote a great book called The Screwtape Letters. And in that book, he... It's a story, a fictional story between uh, a senior devil named Screwtape and a junior devil named Wormwood. And they're, they're dialoguing about their temptation on the Christians. Uh, and this is the picture that we get in their story that, and it really paints the picture of our modern culture of busyness and hurry, the constant pressure to do more, to achieve more. And the temptation comes to us from the evil one. It is the noise in your life, the noise in your life. This is, this is how Screwtape put it. Silence, how I detest, how thankful we should be that ever since our father, the devil, entered hell, but all has been occupied by noise, noise, the great dynamism, the audible expression of all that is exultant, ruthless, and virile, noise, which only defends us from the silly qualms, disparaging scruples, and impossible desires. We'll make the whole universe a noise in the end. We have already made great strides in this direction as regards the earth, but I admit we have not yet, we are not yet loud enough or anything like it. Research is in progress. Research is in progress. Is your life filled with noise? Is your life occupied with the noise that drowns out the silence through which God wants to speak grace to you this morning? There is a noise to keep up, to stack up, to measure up, and that ultimately leads to a chaos in our souls. John Ortberg said it like this. I'll paraphrase. He says, we will never experience life with God 
in a hurry. We, we, we just can't do it. We'll, we will never experience this intimate fellowship, this friendship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit if our lives are constantly on the run. You, you, you can't do it. And I know some of you are incredibly busy. You have a lot going on. You have multiple jobs. Some of you have demanding jobs. Some of you have kids. Some of you even have teenagers. And some of you here are teenagers. And I want to speak to the students really quickly. The demands on your life and the hurry you're being invited into as a student is infinitely higher than I experienced when I was a teenager. And I know what you're thinking. You're, 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 the, you're way too young to to be that way. I'm going to move on. That was, that was weak. Some of you are students and your schedules are maxed to the brim with school, sports, and other activities. And the evil one's temptation for us is to just take on a little more noise in your life. Just take on a little more noise. More hurry, more striving, looking for the verdict of enoughness. Or, Jesus said it this way. Come to me, all who would labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Uh, Jesus' invitation to you this morning. The, uh, a rabbi's teaching in the first century was called their yoke. Jesus is saying, my yoke, my teaching is light and it's easy. Question for you this morning, a little soul diagnostic. Does your soul feel light and easy? If you're like me, you want that kind of life. You long, you absolutely long for that kind of life but there's so much noise. There's so much, there's so much going on. There's a chaos to the soul. There's a heaviness in your soul. And we're actually seeing the massive effects of busyness and hurry on our culture uh, to, to, to give us this voice of enoughness. Um, we're running at a rate uh, that has not been seen before in modern culture. Uh, students are feeling the overwhelming weight. Uh, the recently, uh, University of North Carolina Chapel Hill has come out with mandatory wellness days on the campus. I don't know if you saw this. Mandatory wellness days on the campus uh, because of the growing number of suicides happening on the campus. Uh, there was a study done um, at the University of Penn, University of Pennsylvania, very prestigious Ivy League school. Uh, there was a study done on the life of students there, the chaos, the noise of their lives, the overwhelming sense that there's no margin in their life. And they did this study and they, they came up with this phrase to describe the people of uh, University of Penn. It's called the Penn face, P-E-N-N face. And, and the, the idea behind this was uh, everyone looks like they have it all together. Uh, everyone looks like everything's going okay, but inside their soul is languishing. Stanford uh, University also did a study on their students. Stanford University, very prestigious school. Uh, they came up with the term duck syndrome. Th this idea that these, these students, uh, everything looks great on the surface, but what about the duck underneath the water? The feet are frantically running. There is a verdict that you and I are longing for enoughness to make it, to keep up, to justify 
the existence. And friends, can we acknowledge that we're all feeling that tension? It's not just students. We are all feeling that the tension to look like everything is coming easy in our lives, but we are absolutely exhausted with the hurry, exhausted by this noise. There's a chaos in our weary soul. And, uh, the great writer, Henry David Thoreau, he, he wrote about this. He said, there is, um, there, we live lives in quiet desperation, quiet desperation. Uh, we, we live lives with 10 lonely seconds to justify our existence. And, and, I, and I hear this actually from f- friends of mine who are not Christians, that they, they will say things like, I, I don't know if I want to be around Jesus because I see life as a straitjacket. I see the Christian life as a, more rules that I have to take on. But if we're honest this morning, we are all enslaved to something. Uh, as the great Bob Dylan said, we have to serve somebody. Uh, there, there is a sense for our lives that there is a taskmaster over our lives dictating the terms of our existence. Uh, this is the picture we see in Exodus five. There is the, the situation of the modern technology of that day, much like our iPhone and our AirPods today. It was the amazing brick. That was the technology of the day. The, this amazing mud brick with all of its capabilities and what would happen if you took part in that. And this was what was being dictated by the terms of Pharaoh, by the terms of the people, the taskmasters of that day. And this is what you read in Exodus 5. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it. But your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, complete your work, your daily tasks each day. And when there was straw and the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, why have you not done all your tasks of making bricks today? And yesterday, as in the past. Now, what's going on in this passage is the, the terms are being dictated to the people that this, this is what your life will be. You, you're going to receive a law. This is what's being asked of you. And, and it's going to be barked at you over and over. A Pharaoh saying, keep up, measure up, hurry up. There is more to produce. The quota isn't met. Why have you not finished it? Why are you falling behind? There is an eternal taskmaster that tells us our performance isn't enough yet. And there's more that needs to be done. That's what Pharaoh is saying. Do you feel that way? And friends, the the law is strangling us. It's cutting off the air supply. And we know it. There's, There's some works of the law in our lives that's telling you you are falling behind. That you're not cutting it. You're not meeting the quota. And don't worry, you're not alone. Uh, Martin Luther said the law comes to us in a way as the hammer of God to break us into pieces, (laughs) Uh, to to show us we'll never make it. And the Apostle Paul tells us the law is good, but it comes to us and it demands perfection. And we know we can't pay the bill. Um, After graduating college, uh, I made my way to live across the U.S. in L.A. So I, I made the cross-country road trip across Interstate 40 from North Carolina to L.A. And if anyone's ever done that drive, it's a, 
it's a beautiful drive in many ways. Um, I, I took that trip with two of my best friends and we, for the most part, had a phenomenal trip. There was a one small conflict fight in Oklahoma city because of a girl, but that's another, another story. We made it to LA. They dropped me off. And one of my friends had a childhood friend from uh, growing up that now lived in San Diego. So he wanted to stop and see this friend in San Diego. Um, they, they went and met up and this friend of mine, his childhood friend and a few of their friends said, what better way to celebrate my friend being in town than to make our trip to Baja, Mexico. And they went to a town called Rosarito, if you've been there before. And they went to have a great time and oh, did they have a great time. Drinks, lobster, more drinks. And then the bill came. And they didn't have enough money. And my friend is thinking, am I going to be stuck in Mexico forever? He is. He's still there. Uh, the, the, the owner of the restaurant comes out. He, he, he basically says, listen, pay what you have. Leave our town. Never come back. And so my friend and his friends, they made their way back across the border and they made it barely, barely. There's a bill that was due and they couldn't pay it. And friends, here's the thing. We're all searching for a verdict. We're all looking for enoughness in some law and we cannot pay the bill. Just can't do it. We, we, we keep coming up short. We, we only have a few dollars in our pocket and we know that that's not going to get us very far. By works of the law, no one will be justified, Paul said. The band U2 told about this search for significance. Any U2 fans in the room? Yeah. Okay. God loves you more. <laughs> Bono said this. I, I've climbed the highest mountain. I have scaled these city walls. But what? I still... That's okay, YouTube fans. You can sing it. That's okay. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I still, I, I've, I've searched. I have looked for cosmic significance. And I still haven't found what I'm looking for. If you're looking for cosmic significance, just like Ernest Becker said in the beginning, but keep coming up short, unable to pay the bill. How do we know we found it? That's our final question. And right here in our passage, we see the answer to the verdict we're looking for. And it comes to us in the most unexpected of ways. How do we know we found it? Well, first, uh, Tim Keller says, uh, we begin to see lines in our life. We begin to see all these little lines in our life. Uh, it, it, we see this in verse 14. It says this. When I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. Paul, Paul uses this Greek phrase for in step it is orthopedeo, orthopedeo. Orthos uh, means a straight line. Um, and, and many of you have encountered people who deal with orthos. Uh, you've paid them a lot of money. I'm about to, to pay up a lot of money uh, for them. You, you, what, what, what do they do, um, these type of people? You, you've heard of them. Orthodontists, orthodontists. What, what do they do besides taking all of your money? They give you straight 
Dantles. Uh, Padeo, Padeo, the word, orthopadeo, that word, you may hear the word podiatrist. What does the podiatrist do? They work on what? Some of you have seen them, your feet. Orthopadeo. Some of you, this, is, this has happened to you before. Um, I know because you're Presbyterian. Um, uh, the cop pulls you over because he thinks you might be under the influence. Um, he, 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 he says, hey, get out of your car. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to draw a straight line. I need you to what? Orthopadeo. I, I, I need you to ortho. I need you to walk the, the walk the line. That's, that's what happens. You, this is the way you found the gospel. There will be these lines showing up throughout your life where the gospel is calling you. This is what happened for Peter. Paul doesn't say to Peter, come on, Peter, you know, the no racism law. No, this is right after he, he says, you're not walking in step with the gospel. The, the gospel is what motivates your, your conduct. Do you see that line, Peter? Paul, he's saying, he's saying to him, Peter, did, did God exclude you? Did, did, or did God save you, Peter? Uh, it, Paul's reminding him of the lines. And maybe, maybe God has drawn down a line in your life. Your, your life may be too enmeshed with your technology. Yeah, I'm going there. I'm going there this morning. And don't think it's only your fault because these social media companies, uh, they, they are so savvy at thinking you are the user, but billions of dollars in algorithms are being spent for you to think that when you actually aren't the user, you are the product for the advertisements. Now, please don't hear me say that social media is wrong, but what happens in our lives? What's the line in your life? God's calling you to look at the invitation. Are you scrolling and scrolling and scrolling over and over in social media? But our lines are being shaped by the ideas and images we receive in technology. And the gospel of grace is giving us a line, a line to see where we are. Now, maybe there's a line at your job. Maybe there's a line at your job. There, there are others you work with who are bending the truth. They're bending the rules. They're, they're, they're doing this. And it's almost this sense like, will you jump in? Sure, sure, it's not completely bad, but will you jump in? I mean, everything else will be so much better. Or will you stand up and correct people knowing you will lose approval? And a lot of ways we're being formed to think that what happens here on Sunday doesn't have any impact on Monday through Saturday. But God has put down a line, orthopedeo, with your job. Are you overworking? Is your life in line with the gospel that you're, you're, you're able to just let it go when the workday is done? Or, or does the work come home with you? Is the email on? Is the, is the phone on? There are all these different lines. Culturally, we see the massive impact of the gospel, but there are these lines being drawn out by God for you to pay attention places where you have stress and burden placed upon you. And maybe God is calling you out to see some of these lines. So why do we need this verdict outside of ourselves? The gospel has drawn down lines. We see the gap. We need a rescue. So the first part is you see the lines. That's what our pastor said. The second part is you see the rescue. Look at verse 16. It says this. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Uh, here, Paul tells us the cosmic significance we need. 
is we need a rescue. Uh, we need a, and a rescue is already underway uh, because we see the one place we can look to for justification. Here we find the verdict of enoughness where right here, he's saying, put your trust and confidence in Jesus and in the gospel. You see, the gospel is unlike any other place you are going to look for this validation. Every other law, every other place you look, every other work is going to demand your perfection, but our perfection will never be enough. Every other place you look, the verdict of enoughness comes after your performance. But the gospel says we receive the verdict before our performance. Every other place says after the gospel says before we receive what we're looking for in the accomplishments and resume of another in Jesus himself. Christ was the only one worthy of the verdict. He obeyed all the laws and his work of his life has been imputed to those who would receive it by faith. And that we would surrender our lives to him. And we know that we've tried to keep up. We've tried to perform. We've tried to make enough bricks to satisfy the quota. But Jesus Christ invites you this morning to lay down the excess bags you've been carrying and come to him. To come to him. His way is easy and his burden is light. Because all has been accomplished by him for you. And we've been searching and looking for this answer, but the gospel grace is this great reminder that the answer has come looking and searching for us. Kurt Thompson is a brilliant uh, author, and he writes about this in his book. He says this line, we are all born looking for someone who is looking for us. We're, We're all born looking for someone who is looking for us. And so friends, while you may feel overwhelmed, overworked, or overlooked, while you might feel beat up, fed up, or worked up, your search is actually over because you have been looking for one who has actually been looking for you, longing to draw close to you throughout your day, longing to remind you that you are free, that in him, all that you need has already been taken care of. The question is, will you allow him to rescue you? Uh, I, I read this story recently. Um, uh, there was a hiker lost in one of the highest mountains in Colorado recently, and multiple attempts were made uh, to call him. Uh, uh, they, they reached out to him. Uh, they texted him. They left him voicemails. Um, but every time he wouldn't answer because it was an, a number he didn't recognize. And so he, he made his, his way all around all night looking for the proper trailhead uh, to make his way back to the car. He, I, apparently he found it uh, and made it to his car 24 hours later. But the whole time, the, the one thing he was needing was a rescue is the one thing that was being offered. And he ignored. The search and rescue team said the man reported having no idea anyone was out there looking for him. Kurt Thomas Thompson said it this way. We are all born looking for someone who is looking for us. Friends, this is the beautiful thing about the gospel. There is one who has been looking for you and he's looking for you this morning. Uh, This provocative and shocking message of grace that there is no more striving, no more scorekeeping. Uh, There is no more bricks and quotas that you have to keep up with. The debt has been paid in full forever by the one who has come looking for you this morning. Will you allow him to love you? 
Will you surrender whatever you have been looking to for the verdict over your life that never seems to deliver? And will you come to the one who's actually been looking for you this whole time? Will you let him rescue you? Jesus has come looking for you this morning with the answer we have been searching for, which is life in him. And so friends, this morning, would you surrender wherever it is in your life you are overworked, overlooked, and find in him the only answer that will satisfy and truly matters. And that is that grace changes everything. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we, we do receive once again your invitation this morning that you are actually looking for us. And so, Lord, by your spirit, would you give us the faith to draw near to you, to see the beauty of the gospel and the verdict that is already ours with no strings attached. That all of our striving, brick making and overwhelmment can finally be done because you, Jesus, have accomplished it all. We pray this in his name. And everyone said, amen, amen.